Hey, hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. A bit of a bummer into the week, uh, with two back-to-back losses in New York, an especially brutal one last Friday. But, overall, it's a 2-2 two and two week. Miami still sits at 10-7 and seven above 500. You know, 2-2 two and two week, could have been better, could have been worse. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. I'll definitely take it. But, as usual, we'll go through last week's games. we got four games to go through, so i got to get through those rather quickly. In the middle, I'm going to try a bit. <laughs> a little bit of a leftover potluck from Thanksgiving. Do a little roundtable of things real quick. And then, as usual, we'll look ahead to the next week of games as Miami has one more in-season tournament game coming up tomorrow and then an interesting home-and-home uh, home later on in the week. But first, we go back to last Monday, where Miami was on the second game of a five-game road trip. They had dropped the first one in humiliating fashion the previous Saturday, where they uh, got outscored by 13 in the fourth quarter to lose to the Chicago Bulls. Fortunately for the Heat, they will be playing that same Chicago Bulls last Monday night, so a good chance at revenge. And get revenge they did, beating the Bulls 118-100. to Definitely helped Miami did not have any availability problems beyond just the usual with Tyler Hero being out. Recap of the game itself, the Heat opened up on a 12-2 run, but then gave up 8 straight themselves to keep it kind of close throughout the first quarter. Later on, though, they got up 10, but then closed the first quarter poorly again, only being up 6. So again, you saw them come up with a bigger, better sense of urgency after what happened last Saturday, but not quite being able to build that separation uh, just yet. Early in the second quarter, the game was tied at 40 and did stay pretty close throughout the second until Miami got on an 8-0 run near the end of the second quarter to go up 12 at halftime. So still moving in the right direction at least, up 6 at the end of the first, up 12 at the half. Yeah, you'll take it, even if it did get a little close in the second quarter. Third quarter would similarly be close. Uh, The Bulls got as close as three several times throughout the third quarter, but the Heat were able to get their lead back up to 12 going into the fourth, so third ended up being a wash. And then fourth quarter itself, Miami had two separate 9-0 runs, one at the beginning of the quarter and then one near the end of the fourth quarter to blow this game out down the closing stretch and secure, I think this ended up being Miami's first double-digit victory of the season, as crazy as that would be. If not the first, then it was like the second. But uh, player of the game here. This one I'm actually going to shout out, Jaime Jaquez Jr., 19 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists with 2 steals, on 8 of 13 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3-point range, though no free throws, but a team-high plus 24 and plus-minus, and just continues to be a core rotation player for Miami as a rookie, which is just, again, yes, he is an older rookie, but still he has defied expectations and certainly defied his draft position at 18th. It looks like Miami got a bit of a steal here. Uh, stat of the game here, Miami blew out the Bucks. Even though it was closed throughout several parts, by the end of the game, they had blown them out. So this is almost a take-your-pick for whatever stat you want to look at. Uh, personally, since I've been focusing on the turnovers, I wanted to look at that. Miami won the turnover battle 8-11. to And then to throw in a little bit of extra to show like the emphasis on ball movement, they won the assist battle 31-21. to So they were able to move the ball well on their end, and then they were able to, with good security, while on conversely making things difficult for the Bulls on their end to get the ball moving around. And then just miscellaneous for this game, uh, Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson both had great games as well. Bam, 23 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. It's just getting to the point to where, like, I could give this, I could give player of the game to Bam every time, but now this is becoming a consistent thing. So, hence, I'm starting to highlight other players because now it's getting to the point of, like, 
oh, bam, just another 20-double-double. Meh. Uh, love to see it, though, for us. And then Duncan Robinson, 22 points. 11 of it came in the first quarter. The other 11 came in the fourth quarter. So it helped Miami get out to a good start and then helped them get off to a good finish. After the Bulls game on Monday, the Heat would continue on the road going to the Cleveland Cavaliers last Wednesday, a game that Miami also won in an even more dominating fashion, 129-96. to Especially impressive considering for Miami side, they were without Bam Adebayo listed out for a hip injury. and That's been, uh, I think that took him out, I want to say, the Minnesota game earlier in the season. It's been a prolonged injury at least. But then also Kevin Love was out for personal reasons. Though for the Cavaliers side, they were without Donovan Mitchell. So both sides without some of their best players. But for Miami in particular, without their starting five and their backup five. As for the game itself... Early on, the Heat busted out on a 10-0 run that the Cavs answered with a 7-0 run themselves. Heat closed the first quarter on a 6-0 run to go up 11. And then the Heat kept a double-digit lead throughout the second quarter to halftime. Third quarter, early in the third, the Heat put on an 8-0 run to get themselves up 21, hovered around there, and then opened the fourth quarter on a 9-0 run to be up 30. And then from there, they just coasted until the end. So, for once... No drama, no fuss, now, even, even less drama than that Bulls game. Just wire to wire, picked up a great blowout win. Player of the game for this one, Kyle Lowry, 28 points, one rebound, three assists on 9 of 15 from the field, 7 of 10 from three-point range, 3 of 4 from the uh, free throw line. And in particular, started out aggressive, went 5 of 6 from three-point range in the first quarter alone as he set the tone. And he did all his production in three quarters because, like I mentioned earlier, the Heat got up 30 early in the fourth quarter. So Kyle Lowry, he did all his production in three quarters, and then that ended up being it. Uh, Stat of the game. Again, kind of like with the Bulls one, they blew out the other team, so it's kind of a take-your-pick. There's just a whole bunch of like really great stats the Heat won. But the one I went with this time rather than turnovers is minutes played because not a single player in Miami's rotation that night, I think they went nine deep, None of them played more than 30 minutes, which is, you know, that'd be great to do at home where you have the home crowd behind you and all your, all your bench players are really jazzed up, but to do it on a road, even more impressive. And again, speaks to like taking advantage of that opportunity to make sure that everybody gets rested. You still get the win and then you can look ahead to the next game and then quick miscellaneous thing for, for this Cavs one massive props to Thomas Bryant and Orlando Robinson for keeping themselves ready like I mentioned, Bam and Love were out. That meant Bryant and Orlando Robinson, who had not played uh, in the rotation consistently for the last several weeks at least, they got the call and they performed admirably, especially considering that the Cavaliers still had their front court of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Like Those two played them roughly to a draw, which allowed the Heat to win along the other margins. And then uh, one other quick thing. Uh, there was an unfortunate injury to Drew Smith in this game, uh, essentially due to the fact that Cleveland has an elevated court. And so essentially, Drew Smith went to land, and he his foot landed right on the edge of that elevation, so it slid down, caused a pretty bad knee injury, which we would later find out would be season-ending. So very sad to hear that for, for Drew Smith. Unfortunately, the, the NBA season does not wait for that. The Heat would then go to the New York Knicks last Friday, a game that they this one this is the one that's going to suck to talk about, a game that they lost ninety eight to one hundred. Uh, for availability in this game, both Bam and Kevin Love would be back 
for the Heat, but they would be without Duncan Robinson due to a sprained thumb on his shooting hand. So you're down Duncan, you're down here, you're down both of your uh, snipers. Cole Swider did get a call-up from the G League, though he did not perform well. He got one stint in the first half, and then it didn't look good, so you're not going to risk it in the second half. But recap for the game itself, a very back-and-forth first half. Really entertaining first half, really. Saw Miami down one after giving up an 8-0 run to close out the half. But to Miami's credit, they responded by opening the third on an 18-0 run and kept the lead hovering around like 15-20, ultimately being up 16 going into the fourth. And then the fourth quarter happened. Miami went scoreless for five minutes early in the fourth quarter, giving the Knicks an 11-0 run that got them back in the game. And then Miami closed, giving up a 13-2 run to drop this game by two points to the Knicks, ultimately being outscored by 18 in the fourth quarter. I mean, there's no way around this one. This was just a bad, terrible, complete collapse in the fourth quarter. The kind you just want to, like... Very quickly forget about, so that's why I'm talking about it, and then I'm going to forget about it. Play of the game here, Jimmy Butler, 23 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists with 1 steal on 7 of 14 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3-point range, so still shooting well from 3, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, and did almost win the game. He got a uh, 3-pointer up as time was expiring, it just clanked out. We as Heat fans live by Jimmy, sometimes we die by Jimmy. Stat of the game here, really, it's all about that fourth quarter. Miami shot a putrid 3 of 21 from the field, good for 14% in the fourth quarter, alongside 1 of 8 or 13% from three-point range. That's the game. You give them one more three-pointer, whether it's that Jimmy 3 at the end or a 3 earlier in the fourth to maybe help stem the tide a little bit, that could have ultimately been the difference. Like, Like, really, it just comes down to make a handful of baskets in the fourth quarter. Credit to the Knicks' defense for for playing well. But the Heat did not. They played lackadaisical. Point in case, uh, Eric Spolster is yelling at the Heat to get down the field and and try to get into their sets, not just walk it up. But they still went up lackadaisical. They took their time. And kind of like in football, where you see a team just take a knee, take a knee, take a knee, and punt. Well, if you do that too many times to give the other team enough opportunities, they're going to come back into the game. And then last thing for this game, the miscellaneous part, uh, this was an in-season tournament game, so Miami drops that to go 2-1 in the in-season, which is really, really disappointing. They had this game in the bag, and had they secured it, they'd be up 3-0 in the in- for the group stage of the in-season tournament with the inside track on, getting the, uh, on clinching their group. But instead, they decided to play around, and now that's going to be up for debate. But we'll talk about that a little bit more, because Miami had one more game the following night, at at least you know for a back-to-back, they didn't have to travel anywhere. It was still at Brooklyn, but they still lost to the Nets, 97 to 112. Big part out for this game: Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, still Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. We know was already going to be out, so that's four. That's all four of Miami's leading scorers out for this game. To no surprise, they ended up losing. Uh, recap for the game itself. Heat fell behind 12 early on in the first quarter. They did get back into it with an 8-0 run to ultimately be down four after the first. So, you know, again, like they were hanging around despite the injuries. And they got as close as three in the second quarter, but ultimately fell behind by 10 at the half. 
And the second half itself, the, the Heat honestly just, just were not competitive. They did not have the bodies, nor the enthusiasm, however you want to slice it. But uncompetitive in the second half, and ultimately they lost by 15 points. Play of the game, though, try to find some positives out of this. Uh, Caleb Martin, 22 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists on 9-18 from the field, 1-4 from 3-point range, 3-3 from the free throw line. Looking springier and athletic on both ends of the f- of the court. So if there's one positive to take away from a pretty dull loss on Saturday on the second out of a back-to-back, is that Caleb Martin started to look like he was getting back to form, which will ultimately be a positive for this Heat team. Like, originally I was thinking Caleb Martin might be along the lines of the sixth man for this team, considering Kyle Lowry was going to be starting. So getting him back to form helps out with the bench. Stat of the game... Ended up deciding between two things. I, th- I think both were just areas that ultimately Miami struggled in that le- that ended up leading to this. One was the turnover battle. Miami lost that 17-11. to 11. That's just been, like, it's been a high correlating uh, figure for the Heat, whether or not they win or lose that turnover battle. And then getting to the free throw line. Miami only went 10-13 from the free throw line versus the Nets 20-23, of 23, which... Does make a little sense why Miami was so low. They're without Bam. They're without Jimmy. Those are the primary free throw drawers for this team, and without them, they really suffered. And then conversely, Miami was a little more uh, foul happy than they usually were. Hence, they gave up twenty three free throw attempts to the Nets. But that ends up being a ten point difference right there, just off of free throws. That brings you. That makes it what a five point difference at the end. A few baskets go here and there. Maybe this actually could have been a game Miami won, but. Nonetheless, they didn't. Miscellaneous one for this game to finish this up. Nikolajovic actually got the call-up from the G League, and with all the injuries, he was actually able to get in some minutes as the 10th man. I think he ultimately got 16 minutes or so. Yes, 16 minutes, because he picked up 5,060 minutes as he struggled defensively. It still does not look like a great fit for him at the 5, but we'll talk about that um, in the next segment as well. Just to say, for this specific part, it was another... It was another game where it looked like Jovic will need more development time. So like I said, bit of a, a downer to end the week with a bad loss to the Knicks on Friday and then arguably like a scheduled loss with all the injuries and the back-to-back against the Nets on Saturday. But overall, it is still a 500 week. It was 2-2. Miami's 10-7. and They're still in decent position. And now they get to come back home for a home-heavy stretch of the schedule. So, for the next segment that I wanted to do, I wanted to actually try a little bit of a bit this time where I got four topics that I think I can compare to Thanksgiving dishes, and overall I think I can make at least a decent dinner out, out of out of this. So, that's <laughs> what so we're going to try to do, make a decent uh, bit out of this segment. First up, though, injuries, which to these, these are the mashed potatoes for the Miami Heat. They're there every year, you know what you're getting, you're not getting away from them, and you're probably going to get a big plate full of them anyway. So we'll get to the injury report after this usually, but suffice to say that there was a long list. And and even as I was going through the games last week, you probably picked on up on some of it, right? Jimmy Butler out Saturday, a Kevin Love out here, a Bam out there, Duncan out there. And again, this is on top of Hero being out, Martin working himself back in. Uh, I didn't even get to mention um, Haywood Highsmith uh, in that Nets game took a, a bad fall in on his back and, and got a little bit of, of a potential injury there as well. Oh, yeah, and then also Drew Smith. So, like, this is a team that just repeatedly deals with injuries year in and year out. And, honestly, I think it makes sense, right? Jimmy Butler, for example, 34 years old, so he's getting up there in age. 
and throughout his career plays a bruising physical style. It's part of the reason why we expect him to rest or coast more so through the first months of the season so that he can play that style more in March, April, May, potentially even June. Like, to use RPG terms, we want to keep his stamina and his durability high throughout the first few months because we know it's going to get knocked down a few pegs uh, come playoff time when, when he implements that more you know, stamina and durability draining play style. So all that to say, we, we understand Jimmy is going to miss time. He's probably not playing second nights of back-to-back. Early on in the season, like, like he sustained an ankle injury. Oh, yeah, I didn't even mention this. He sustained an ankle injury against the Knicks on Friday. Surprised that that keeps happening against the Knicks, but I think a little more coincidence. But just to say, he picks up these nagging injuries. He's going to be extra rested throughout the early parts of the season so that he can be prioritized later. So already Miami, their best player, combination of age and play style means he's going to be missing games. Uh, Kyle Lowry, 37 years old. Uh, so I'm actually legitimately surprised he played the second out of the back-to-back against the Nets. But then again, we were already missing so many players. So props to Kyle Lowry for stepping up. Uh, but at 37, he's also getting a little bit older. So if he gets injuries, no surprise there. And uh, similarly, Kevin Love, also 35 years old. Can't be too surprised if he needs rest either. And then the other part with the in- last part with the injuries, it's just the fact that this team plays hard. They're a little bit undersized, and they play a very bruising physical style just as a team, which reflects their leader. And so it makes sense when you just have like these hustle injuries. Like, again, Tyler Hero is a good example. Not, nothing that he did that says he's uh, prone to injury. Nothing that he did that says he's like a bad player. He just was making routine hustle plays. Broke his hand in the playoffs. Landed on an ankle this season. But then also like Haywood Highsmith. He just goes up to contest a layup or grab a rebound. And the, his legs get taken out from under him. He lands on his back. He's just hustle plays. <laughs> they happen more frequently to the Heat only because they are coached to the point that they make those kinds of plays more often. So do we see this team healthy anytime soon? Probably not, but we can continue to hope. And we, but again, we just have to come to the fact that, you know, this is mashed potatoes. It's just part of the meal at this point. Uh, Next topic I wanted to go through real quick, just another talk about the fourth quarters, because those are consistently the worst parts. And this one I would compare to Turkey in that it's getting a little dry at this point to talk about it over the time, but maybe I can find some gravy or something to pour over it, juice it up a little bit to, to make it a little bit more digestible. Uh, so for this, I wanted to look at mainly just statistical stuff to try to like parse out where the fourth quarters are falling apart. And as I see it, it pretty much boils down to Miami's offensive approach and, and more specifically the possession battle. So, for example, Miami, their free throw rate, just the number of free throws per field goal attempts that they make, drops from 16th to 21st. Well, when you go from just overall game to the fourth quarter itself. So, in other words, the Heat are getting to the line less frequently in the fourth quarter, which is almost inverse because you would imagine you'd have the ball more in Bam and more in Jimmy's hands, and those are the players that get to the line for Miami. So, whether that's, that's the case of them not applying the pressure at the rim or maybe they're just not quite getting the favorable calls that, that, that they used to, it's still ultimately a problem for Miami because A, free throws are a big source of points for Miami, especially for Jimmy and Bam. That's where they get uh, at least a significant chunk of their points from. So offensively, you're being worse because you're not getting to the line more often. And then B, it makes it harder for Miami to set up their defenses. It, it's less chan- It's less times where 
you know, Jimmy drives to the rim, gets a call, the play stops. If he's not getting that call now, well, instead it's trickling off the rim. Jimmy's behind on the play, and now the other team's running down a fast break, and they got a five on four. So the difference between those two outcomes is massive, especially for the other team. Uh, then the other part of it, like I mentioned, is the possession battle. Miami, their turnover percentage drops from 12th throughout the game to 20th in the fourth quarter. They're, they're turning over the ball more often. And their offensive rebounding percentage drops from 26th, not that they were very good at, but it still drops from 26th in the, in, throughout the game to 30th dead last in the fourth quarter, which means if they're not getting as many offensive rebounds, then the other team's getting more defensive rebounds. So between those two, you essentially have a situation where Miami is losing the possession battle in the fourth quarter now, which, like again, why I, I emphasize the turnover so much and why I think it's such a positive correlator for the Heat wins throughout the season is this is not the most efficient offense. We already kind of knew that going into the season, but it got really bad. So if you're not the most efficient offense, then how you win is having more possessions than your opponent. So that way, just through the sheer volume, you can outscore them. So, fourth quarter, if that ain't happening, instead they're giving more possessions to their opponent, which therefore makes sense that they tend to blow these fourth quarter leads so much. And then I think another, uh, the last stat I want to throw in here as a bit of an indicator as well, is when you look at opponent fast break points, Miami goes from 15th throughout the whole game to 29th in the fourth quarter, meaning opponents are getting out on the break more often against Miami. And like I mentioned earlier, that could be Jimmy not getting a foul call, so then now it's a five-on-four break. That could be a live ball turnover. That could be them grabbing a defensive rebound and, and initiating a fast break off of that. And then they get easier points off of that. It goes, it all, like Overall, it, is, it essentially boils down to Miami's offense being particularly inefficient, especially at drawing free throws, which is usually a strength of theirs. And that's leading to either tra- easier transition baskets for the opponent, where they can get some easy points here and there, or it allows the opponent to string together buckets and go on runs just because the, the Heat offense is dying. So conversely, Miami takes care of the ball a little bit better, does a little, does a little bit more due diligence, and this could also be a bit of a road problem as well, right? Miami's been on the road a lot, 12 of their first 17, and the whistle is a little less friendly on the road, so that could also be a factor as well. But whether or not they just overall find a more efficient offense, or whether or not they just focus on taking care of the ball, or just getting to the free throw line, or doing all of it, that that would go a long way to solving the fourth quarter problem. Moving on from here, though, next topic I want to cover real quick, the in-season tournament, which I'm comparing to green bean casserole. Some people like it, some people hate it. But it's veggies, so you're, you're definitely going to eat it. And overall, you know, it seems like a pretty good dish. Uh, so, like I mentioned earlier, Friday's loss does drop Miami to 2-1 to one in the group stage, which, as a reminder, the group stage, essentially, you play four games against four opponents. The best one automatically clinches and goes on to the knockout stage of the tournament, and then there is a wild card from each conference, where it is... So, you have the three teams that clinch their group's advance, and then of the remaining one, the, the best team with record point differential and all that... They advance as the wild card. So, with Miami at 2-1, and one, how are they looking? Not too great. Essentially, what they need to do if they want to advance and go to the knockout stage, they need to beat the Bucks tomorrow and need the Knicks to lose hosting the Hornets, which 
the the first one it's likely that it's a home game at least the second one does not seem very likely the hornets have been garbage but there is a situation where if miami beats the bucks but the knicks still win tomorrow that there can be a tiebreaker that decides it because essentially what would happen then is the knicks bucks and heat would all be three and one in the group um knicks beat the heat but the heat's beat the Bucks and the Bucks beat the Knicks. So then it go it's like a rock, paper, scissors thing. So that tiebreaker cancels out, and then you go on to – there's like a whole list for other tiebreakers for that. So for now, though, just, just to say that Miami isn't quite dead, but they for sure need to pick up a win against the Bucks tomorrow, and then it depends on what happens with the, with the Knicks afterwards. If a situation happens where, like, if one of those don't happen, there's still a possibility that the Heat could get a, the wild card – but there are, there's like five different scenarios where like four or five different things need to happen. Would have been way too in-depth to talk about for this. Suffice just to say that, that we'll come back to that next week should it happen. But for me, this in-season tournament kind of feels like green bean casserole with like some good bacon bits thrown in there. Like, okay, this is, this is a lot better than I thought it would be. Definitely take some more for leftovers. And then to close out this segment... Let's get a little dessert. Nikola Jovic, you know, I compare him to some pumpkin pie. Something tantalizing to end the night on. Even in spite of a somewhat lackluster performance uh, in his few minutes uh, last Saturday against the Nets. So like I mentioned in when I was going through the game recaps, the defense for him definitely still needs work, especially considering he's being played mostly at the five or like he's having to anchor the zone or cover pick and rolls, uh, th- things along those lines. Things that he's just not used to. And it, to on the one hand, that it is difficult for him. He's 20 years old. He's still growing into his body. He has not played center throughout his life. He's been you know a wing, a ball handler. He's been the guy, uh, as one person put it, the guy initiating the pick and roll, not the guy screening for the pick and roll. So it is a bunch of new stuff for him. On the counter argument side of it, though, I do see what the Heat are trying to go for here. They have a ton of wings, which makes it hard to play Jovic at the four. So, you know, they have Highsmith, they have Hawkes, they have Martin, they have Jimmy. Uh, and then you could even go to, say, like a Jamal Kane afterwards. Like, there's a bunch of wings out there. So, Jovic is already go- would already be fighting for minutes at the four. So, if he can play the five, that gives him more minutes. And I think more specifically, what the Heat are hoping to do with Jovic is to groom him into a similar role like what Kevin Love is doing, which is small ball back up five, just try to survive on defense and, and help space the floor and play mech on offense, but then also be out there occasionally with Bam. Like, it, it's not a situation where, like, I just as an example, if Kevin Love plays 12 minutes as the backup five and six minutes with Bam as a, as a stretch four, you couldn't just take those six minutes and say, Jovic, we're going to play you for those six minutes at the four so that way you can get comfortable at it. It would just be weird because now you have Kevin Love with 12 minutes and Jovic with six, and they might argue over minutes, you know, rhythm, flow, things like that. So it's kind of like like the treat for Jovic, right? Like, hey, if you can if you can just get out there and survive for those 12-ish minutes that Bam's resting so that way and just be, the, be that small ball five then you can also get your minutes uh, at the four afterward. But Jovic did stir up a a little bit of buzz over the weekend, uh, primarily because of some comments that were made to a Serbian reporter in Serbian that then, because of translation, got got people riled up. Which, 
I, I don't know how many people listening to this have tried to speak another language. One of, one of the first things that I learned is things really do get lost in translation. Different languages, like sometimes direct translations don't pick up on certain inflections or different versions of a word that could be used within, de- within a certain context. Uh, I, I've done that myself trying to learn Spanish. Where I'll be like, oh, are you excited to go see a movie? And then I use the wrong word for excitement. And you can go figure that out yourself. But the crux of the comments and the controversy essentially revolved around Jovic implying, like I mentioned earlier, right? I've, I've never played the five. I, I play more of the four. I feel like I'm being taken out of what I'm good at and, and being used to placate the needs of the G League, the Sioux Sky Force, versus properly developing him. I would still counter-argue that I think it is the proper development that they're trying to get him more time at the five. Because right or wrong, I, I see what Spolstra and the Heat staff are trying to do with him. Um, but fortunately, today, in English, he further clarified those comments. They were, they were taking a little bit of a lost in translation or out of context. Uh, and he's at least reiterated that he is happy with the team. They're winning. He's going to keep trying, keep developing. He appreciates the Heat organization. Saying all the right things, at least. It's just, again, the, the continual question now. How can he develop? When slash will he even get opportunity? And if he does, can he perform to the level that he grabs minutes, as Spostra uh, typically likes to say, and force him to play him? I, for one, still think it's possible. Like, I think at the very least we have a few years uh, of trying out the pumpkin pie before we can determine whether or not it's gone bad. But that concludes my Thanksgiving leftover dinner. Looking ahead now, let's real quick go over the injury report and then look ahead to Miami's next week of games. First up on the injury report, a bit of a long one this time. Uh, first up, Drew Smith. He is unfortunately out for the season due to the injury that happened in Cleveland. This will probably be the last time I mention him outside of the transaction stuff. Um, really do feel bad for Drew Smith. He was coming alive as a backup point guard, especially on the defensive end and doing some playmaking on offense. Hopefully he can recover well. Maybe he can come back and be productive in the future. Until then, all the best in recovery. Uh, RJ Hampton, there has not been any updates. He's still listed out as an extended absence, and that becomes a bit more relevant considering he could be called up from uh, once he's healthy again as, a, as another backup point guard considering the loss of Drew Smith. Tyler Hero has been officially listed out for Tuesday. No word beyond that, but we can be hopeful maybe... In the Indiana games later on this week, if not, then I mean he'll get some really good rest over the next two weeks and should be ready to go. Jimmy Butler listed day to day with the ankle injury from the Knicks uh, game Friday. Did not participate in practice today, but that could just be precautionary. I would imagine Jimmy plays tomorrow, especially considering it's the Bucks and the stakes of the game. Uh, Haywood Highsmith also day to day with the back limited practice today. So that one, I think, could be a bit more questionable, and the Heat could rest him ultimately. I wouldn't be surprised there. Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo both listed day-to-day with thumb and hip injuries, respectively, but they were full participants in practice today, so I'm of the inclination that the two of them will be playing in the game tomorrow. Now on to the games themselves. Miami has a three-game homestand this week, so we actually get to see the Heat play at home finally. It almost feels like weird at this point after the first 12 of 17 on the road. But the game plan for the week, Miami will host the Bucks on Tuesday and then the Pacers on Thursday and Saturday. Tuesday, tomorrow, Miami hosts the Milwaukee Bucks. Overall, 12 and 5. 
the Heat are down 0-1 in a best of three against the Bucks for the season series. They drop in that first one. That was like, what, game four for them. Yeah, they, they lost that one. They got blown out throughout the first three quarters. Almost made it a bit of a game in the fourth quarter, but that was just a really bad offensive game by Miami. Uh, out for the Bucks on Tuesday, for sure, Jay Crowder. Middleton is questionable with Achilles injury. That actually could be one I could see them holding out on for Chris Middleton. One is an Achilles. You really don't want to mess with Achilles. Two, Chris Middleton's age. And then three, the point in the season where, like, when the, the Bucks are in a good enough position. They're, like Miami, they're looking more towards, you know, uh, April, May, June. So for them, I could see them resting Middleton. Uh, players to watch out for in this game, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Damian Lillard, how, just the, the pick and roll with the two of them, that's where you for sure need Bam Adebayo if you really want a good shot at winning this game. And just how can the Heat disrupt that? How can they keep those two players from having a massive impact? Uh, stats for this game that I, that I think would be interesting for the Heat to look, pay attention to, the Bucks for offense, their third in free throw attempts, ninth in three-point attempts, which play a big role in them being third in points per game. They get up a lot of exactly. They get up a lot of free throws. They get up a lot of threes. Makes sense when you got Damian Lillard shooting threes and getting to the free throw line, and then you have Giannis either collapsing the defense to kick out for threes or get to the line himself. Uh, but the Bucks are 14th in opponent three point percentage, 17th in opponent two point percentage, 23rd in opponent points per game. So other teams are shooting very well on them, both from outside the arc and inside the arc. And overall scoring well. So this could be a game where Miami could like really get to their three-point shooters, especially if Duncan's back, and then they can steal this one just by raining threes on them or just outscoring them. Storyline for this game. This is the last in-season tournament game for Miami. So it's kind of the... Now, the Heat already want to win this game, A, because it's a game. They want to win every game. And then B, it's the Bucks. It's an in-conference rival. They want to show out and look good against an in-conference rival, especially when they have not got a lot of like high-quality wins. Like even that Cavs game where they blew them out. The Cavs are without Donovan Mitchell, so that's he's arguably their best player. It's still a good win. It's just not like like that top top-level win. Like if they beat the Bucks tomorrow. So in that sense, the Heat will care. I just don't know if they necessarily care as much about the in-season tournament. But still, for for this for us as the fans that, that we're interested in, in what the outcome of this tournament will be, at least I am at this point, uh, that'll be on the line tomorrow night. After that, Miami will host the Indiana Pacers on Thursday. It's a Pacers team that's currently 9-6 overall. This will be the first of three meetings with the Indiana Pacers this season. Out for the Pacers, uh, potentially, uh, Naismith, who I'm not quite sure what level of rotation player he is for the Pacers, admittedly. He is questionable for a game tonight. Probably imagine if he's questionable for tonight that he'd probably be good, if not probable, by Thursday. For players to watch out for in the Pacers, number one has to be Tyrese Halliburton. He is absolutely the head of the snake over there right now, averaging 25 points, 4 rebounds, 12 assists. That is just insane to me. Uh, not to say that the Pacers don't have other good players. Miles Turner's been good. Buddy Heald's been good. Uh, uh, Matherin, that's his name. Matherin's been good for them. But the only 20-point-per-game score that they have currently is Halliburton. Everything is revolving around him. So if the Heat can hone in on him, that goes a long way to slowing down the Pacers. Stats for, for this one, <laughs> the Pacers, first in field goal attempts, first in field goal percentage, first in points per game. 
while also being, interestingly enough, for, for a good defensive stat for them, they're first in opponent three-point attempts. So they actually do a, a really good job of limiting opponent three-point attempts. Oh, literally the best job at eliminating three opponent three-point attempts, which is jarring considering the fast pace that they typically operate at. But for bad stats where Miami could really... So obviously for Miami, they want to try to hone in and try to keep those field goal attempts low and try to keep that percentage lower and maybe try to get a few more threes up even though... Uh, Indiana's been pretty stingy about that. Then on the other side, they are last in opponent two-point attempts, 29th in opponent free-throw attempts, and last in opponent points per game. So they score a lot, but they give up a lot. Essentially, they just run at a really rapid pace. So, storyline for this game. Essentially comes down to, can the Heat slow down the Pacers, or will the Pacers' transition game run roughshod on the Heat? Like I mentioned earlier, right, a part of the big problem in the fourth quarter in particular has been a drop in the ability to guard fast break points because of increased turnovers or offensive rebounds. Well, that's death against the Pacers because they are most likely scoring off of that. Their their offense is built right now about transition game. So can the Heat overcome their problems and, and therefore pull out this win or will the problems persist and therefore they end up dropping this? After the game on Thursday, though, the Heat will host the Pacers on Saturday again. So I'm not going to do the usual breakdown because most of it applies to the same game on Thursday. Really, the only thing I'm going to focus on here is the storyline part, which is essentially just how do the teams respond to the outcome of Thursday? So, like, for example, if Miami does a good job of slowing down the Pacers on Thursday, do they come back and try some different gimmicks or different tricks to get out more in transition Saturday or vice versa, right? Pacers get out and transition a lot Thursday and win the game. What do the Heat do to try to do a better job of tampering that down come Saturday? So th- that this is always the fun part about these home-and-home home series. Is It's kind of like a playoff, right? You're looking to see how teams change from the first game to the second one. After this homestand, though, uh, we will have a week break from the regular season, actually, for the in-season tournament knockout round uh, next week. So it starts... The, I believe next Monday on the 3rd. So, the plan for next week, we will have hit the 20-game mark, so I can talk about quarter of the season statistics, see where the Heat are at there, and then we can look to see where the Heat ended up with the in-season tournament, depending upon what happens with the Bucks tomorrow and the other scenarios throughout the week. So yeah, next week, we'll talk about quarter stats, and then preview whatever happens with the in-season tournament, even if it just ends up being Miami gets a week of rest. So, I do thank you for hanging around today. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at KBR Heat Culture off of X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball, full-on access Pacers, Brooklyn Buzz, Celtics Wire. They do a great job over there. Links for everything are in the show notes as usual. I'll be back next week. So until then, hope you all have a good one, Heat Nation.